Let's pray. Heavenly Father, perhaps today uh, what we have in front of us from the scriptures uh, is among the most at odds with the way that everyone around us and, and probably we think. Please help us. Please give us a way in to seeing how what you say to us can be good for us, though it feels like the opposite at the moment. Please, Heavenly Father, would you help us to not create any division that you don't, to say this is somehow for one group of people and not for another. Please, would all of us humble ourselves before the living Lord God, your Son, Jesus Christ, and be washed, be sanctified, be made right with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Which of these people sounds free? My body is a temple. I hate my body. I listen to my body. My body, my choice. I don't repress my body. I am trapped in my body. We're on one of the most talked about, painful, confused, controversial topics of our age today. You won't have missed it when Sister Elizabeth read it out. Church of England is caught up in this debate and it's raging. There are strongly held differences within this church. I know that. In that sense, Paul's writing to us even more obviously today than all the other weeks in 1 Corinthians. And when he's writing... It's really the Holy Spirit who's addressing us through him. But what's really strange, just first off, is Paul doesn't make as big a deal out of some of these things as we do. But he makes a much bigger deal out of some things that we don't think are very important. I'm in the crosshairs of this passage as I've wrestled with it this week. We all are. No one sexual identity, gender, age, culture is singled out, despite what it feels like when we first read it. All of us are humbled and challenged. No one can get this or any other passage of the Bible on their side in a war of words. All of us are cut to the heart if we'll humble ourselves to listen. So I don't know what it was that Sister Elizabeth read as you were going through this passage that you particularly bristled at. I imagine there were some things that you were like, what? That can't be right. But we prayed that we'd hear Jesus' perfect universal invitation together this morning. And only God can do that. Humans always stray into factions. I follow Apollos, I follow Paul, remember? But miraculously, this commissioned human, Paul, has been given words by Jesus that we've read that are somehow for uniting us all as sinners who need to repent and believe in Jesus. And whatever we thought as we heard that read, this passage has everything to do with freedom. And particularly on this very vexed question of our bodies and our desires and we're going deeper than what we think here more primal than our spirit 
These are the parts of us no one in our society is truly comfortable with in themselves. So often, if you listen carefully, and I have tried to, those who most aggressively want us to accept their understanding of their bodies and their desires, everyone from incels to furries to frog cells to cat cells, don't know if you've heard of all of those, but they're all out there. They're doing this because they want to feel okay with who they are. But they can't. So many detailed TikTok testimonies are about longing to feel accepted, arising from that deep inability to be self-accepting. Whatever people are pushing out to the world, whether it's straight nuclear family or genderqueer non-binary demisexual, everyone is tempted to try to still the chaos inside by enforcing everybody else outside. And Jesus offers us a different way. Verse 9 to 11, Jesus changes us for the kingdom of God. Jesus changes us for the kingdom of God. You'll notice it's kind of in the middle, isn't it, where Sister Elizabeth began. But we're still on kind of fighting and suing each other, really. But there's a pivot to bring together the two things we've looked at over the last two weeks. One is suing each other and the other is this guy who's sleeping with his stepmom. Paul says both these things are happening to the Corinthians because they've lost sight of the end game of their Christian lives. The kingdom of God. And it's particularly deep that Paul calls it that rather than eternal life or all the other things he could have called it. Because this phrase, you'll know, is Jesus' favourite phrase. And Paul barely ever uses it. So when he does, you know he's got Jesus in his mind. When people try and say that Jesus is saying one thing and Paul's saying something else, that's been said by people in the Church of England about this passage. One thing you can be sure about is they haven't really read Jesus and they haven't really read Paul. Now, our eyes get massively drawn to one thing in the list in verse 10. Mine do, anyway. Now, Jesus doesn't mention this specifically. And we will talk about that today. Paul's not obsessing about it, though. Nor do he or the Corinthians find what he's saying here, the practice as a whole, a shocking thing. Like it was only 30 years ago in this country and still is in Nigeria and Saudi Arabia. Everything in this list, however we respond to it, is normal behaviour for all humans, to Paul and the Corinthians. And notice, it's not just normal for people outside the church, it's normal for them too. Some of you were like that. Yeah, Jewish people tended to keep away from these specific sins, but only because the world they were surrounded by was very enthusiastic about them. In fact, the world that this was written into was so enthusiastic about all forms of sexual self-expression that it did away with two constraints that we care quite a lot about, age and consent. Neither of our two words that say something is okay sexually, consenting adults, 
applied to most of the stuff that went on in Corinth. If you were a woman, you had very little choice about what someone did to you. Paul's reminding us of something that we often forget when the Bible cuts across our idea of what's acceptable and right for us to do with our bodies and desires. Jesus does change us. Verse 11, you were cleansed, you were made holy, you were made right with God. We will talk about the specifics. That word change can feel frightening when it talks about these deep things in us. But let's deal with the basic fact. Jesus does change us for the kingdom of God, for that eternal life that he has won for us on the cross. basic fact we will want to do some things and behave in certain ways that Jesus by his spirit through our years together as church will eventually give us a different perspective about I'd like to quote a good minister friend of mine Paul Blackham on this point and I think it's worth quoting in full some of us have same-sex attraction and we need to know This is no better or worse than opposite sex attraction. There are different challenges for us all, especially in a culture and age that idolises relationships. Marriage is an idol in modern Christian culture. Everything depends on what we do with the attraction we feel how we process it, how we understand it, how we're supported in it, how the people around us understand us, how we belong within our church family. The Bible takes for granted that we have all kinds of sexual attractions and temptations. That's a given. However, what we do with these attractions makes all the difference in the world. Remember, it was not same-sex attractions that shipwrecked Israel, but the messed-up heterosexuality of David and Solomon. Church is the one community that doesn't define us by our attractions or our temptations, by our sexuality or by our sin. Church is supposed to be the one community where we can be really honest about who we really are without condemnation or judgment. The one family where we confess if we've sinned without being labelled or rejected. Church is the one community, the one family, where we can really be ourselves and where we can bring all that we are into service to Jesus, where we can be gay or straight or whatever we are, to the glory of God. So in view of that, Jesus does change us for the kingdom of God. But next, as we get into the specifics, verse 12 to 14. Jesus awakens desire that does not enslave us. Jesus awakens desire that does not enslave us. Verse 12, we get a new thing happening here. It seems as if the Corinthians have written a letter to Paul with some statements and questions. And you can see that from 7 verse 1. He says, now regarding the question you asked in your letter, it seems like this bit in inverted commas is something they've written to him. So here are the three or the two things that they've said to Paul. I'm allowed to do anything 
verse 12 and verse 13, food was made for the stomach and the stomach for food. And notice, Paul doesn't disagree with these things. That sounds like freedom to us, doesn't it? What's wrong with love expressed physically with another person of any gender, if that's the thing that I feel I really need? If we have a desire for something, surely we're damaging ourselves if we don't pursue it. And we're Christians, so we can do what we like now, can't we? With no problems. That, that's the argument. And Paul's like, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. So far, that, that's how we think, isn't it? Pre-Christian church, the majority of the world would have almost exactly the same attitudes to sexual desires that we do, except for the things we've already noted about women mostly being objects and about age and consent not really mattering. Well, Paul's approach in responding to these things that he kind of concedes, yeah, there is some truth in that, is so different from the response we think, which is sort of just being basically homophobic or spoilsport or a hypocrite. You can't stick those labels on Paul as you actually read what he says. Because listen to his response. Yeah, you can do anything you want, but not everything's good. And yeah, you can do anything you want, but don't be enslaved by anything. Body for the food for stomach and stomach for food. Yeah, but one day God's going to get rid of that way of being. Paul's kind of, yeah, you could do that. But that's not actually the height that Jesus is calling you to. And there may be some consequences that inevitably come from you doing that, that you may realise you don't want after all. So I need to say something now that I hope will take some of the sting out of that verse 10. I don't think that verse, those two words, which are translated, they, they mess up how to translate them in every single Bible. So the male prostitute, that doesn't really work. Uh, those who practice homosexuality, that doesn't really work either. It's, it's more, it, I don't think either of these words can describe most gay, lesbian or trans people today. It, that, he's not talking about that. It's much more with this bit, like the person who's publicly sleeping with his stepmom. It's someone who is proudly doing whatever they want and hurting everyone without any care for anyone. That's the kind of idea. It's sort of this public, you know, casual treating people like bits of meat to be used. And, and no one says that's good. So that's the thing he's talking about, about the way of living that doesn't inherit the kingdom of God. This next bit is much more the realm that we're all living in. That uneasy relationship that we have with our deep desires day to day. So the principle about just doing whatever you want, irrespective of the consequences, that still applies. That, that's, that's not going to inherit the kingdom of God. But he's talking to us, I think, most of us here, who realise we need some boundaries for our desires. Everything we want to do, we shouldn't. There are all kinds of things that we want to do, particularly in this area, that are not going to be good if we do them. But even if we realise there's some boundaries, we're all having a hard time living within them. That's all of us, isn't it? Not targeting any one person. That's certainly me. If we're married, 
our marriages will not always model being self-controlled for the good of the other. So we don't get out of it if we're married. If we're living together in an unmarried sexual relationship, that is outside Jesus' commands for sexual intimacy. But there are all kinds of reasons, often due to things we can't change, why it's not that straightforward to just sort it out. All of us are living in this confused, compromised, oh, I didn't really want to do that, but I couldn't really help it. And oh, it, I, I don't feel comfortable with the way that I'm living in this area. All of us are like that. My same-sex relationships have not been uncomplicated. Sometimes with same-sex and opposite-sex friendships, we are comfortable with it being the way it is, but the other person wants more. That's a hard situation. I've been in that situation with my gay Christian friends. He was in love with me and was constantly tempted to be more physical than was right for him or for me, and that was when I was married. But we were still really good friends. I'm still very good friends with that man. This is not a straightforward thing for any of us. No one is being targeted here. Please, can I say that unbelievably clearly? And one way we could deal with that confusion that all of us, I think, feel, if we're honest, is what our culture does, including senior leaders in the Church of England now. We could just say, oh, it doesn't matter very much. If it feels good, do it. Just, just try not to hurt anyone else. I'm allowed to do anything. Food for the stomach, the stomach for food. Well, Paul says, yeah, but let me tell you what happens when you do do that. You can't actually keep a lid on sexual desire that way. Sex does things to us that we don't understand. Within marriage, particularly in this area, there's still shame, dissatisfaction, frustration, worries about repression. Louise Perry, in describing people visiting rape crisis centres in her book, Against the Sexual Revolution, she's not a Christian, so this is someone listening to the testimony of sexual violence survivors. She says that often that was just the end of a line of things they were not comfortable with with whoever it was, but they felt they should. They technically gave their consent because they weren't really sure where the boundaries were. A lot of the women who come in and speak to me, some who are domestic abuse victims, have said they weren't sure how to say no because culture says you can do whatever you like. They didn't want to have no relationship. They didn't want to put off this bloke so they agreed to things that actually made them feel gross. We're easily messed up by this stuff. We find ourselves chasing sexual satisfaction that never comes. We're enslaved to our desires, not at peace with them. All of us are like that. The only thing that can fill the space that our sexual desires keep opening up is, can you believe this? The Lord. Just listen. Our bodies were not meant for sexual immorality. They were made for the Lord? No, no, they were made for heterosexual marriage, Paul. No, he doesn't say that. 
The best, most godly Christian state is not being married. It's being with the Lord, unmarried. And actually, the, the translation here is trying to smooth over what it actually says. The Lord cares about our bodies? No, it says our bodies are for the Lord and the Lord for the body. It could not be more explicit. Somehow, that thing that happens with sex is actually about what happens with us and God. That's what he says. And that's so deep that, oh, we're running short, sorry. Uh, Okay, I'll cut some bits out. Uh, So Jesus awakens a desire that does not enslave, this desire for communion with God. And, And I'll just talk a little bit on the last bit about what that actually looks like. And here's the heading. Verse 15 to 20. Jesus frees us to be his body and the spirit's temple. Jesus frees us to be his body and the spirit's temple. Being Jesus' church mysteriously means, and it is a mystery, it is a mystery, I don't get it, but but it's there. It means our sexual desires, those deepest longings of our bodies are most completely fulfilled when we are deeply intimate with Jesus. And communion is part of that in a mysterious way. All our sexual desires at the deepest level are a thirst for communion, for being one, for belonging completely to someone, for overcoming that barrier that all of us feel between each other. And no human, not our wife or our husband or our girlfriend or our boyfriend, can handle that. I've seen all kinds of relationships swallowed up by people not realising that that's what's happening, that they're feeding on this person for something they can't give them. That thing that Paul says about prostitutes is that the whole kind of casual approach. So I don't meet Christians who do that. But the point he makes to say, well, that's not a good idea, underlines this communion that happens, whether we like it or not, when we engage sexually with someone. These desires were designed for Jesus. He's already become one with us. So that is what will ultimately satisfy these long desires. There's just one line as we come to an end. And just just meditate on this this week. I I guarantee you will not believe it when I first say it, but I'm going to say it. Our deepest opportunities for intimacy are not in the bedroom, but the prayer room. Our deepest opportunities for intimacy are not in the bedroom. They're in the prayer room. Got to stop. Please email me about this. I know this is a sensitive thing. Uh, Tell me if there's something that's troubled you. I'd love to hear. I'd love to make sure everyone feels welcome and included and accepted on this issue. Jesus changes us for the kingdom of God. Jesus awakens desire that does not enslave. Jesus frees us to be his body and the spirit's temple. Let's pray.